Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. Today we talk with Andy Nairn. Andy is one of the co-founders of Lucky Generals, an agency in London. And for many of you, you may, you may actually be like me. I didn't realize that uh, Lucky Generals did some of uh, the work that I've been seeing over here in the U.S., particularly all of the Amazon Alexa work, which is terrific stuff. And so it was, it was great to uh, have a conversation with Andy about that. So today we're not only going to be talking about his new book, we're also going to be talking about how Lucky Generals works. We're going to talk about the Amazon work. And uh, I really get a sense for the way Andy and the agency thinks. Andy was awarded Planner of the Year in the UK in 2020. And I believe that's a recognition that he's had in the past. So it's, it's a great opportunity to talk with him. One of the fun things that Andy points out is kind of an interesting tip for other planners around the world. He says that many times when writing a brief, he will actually write down three things that are kind of three bad things about the product. He said that it's good to focus on bad sometimes because you can flip it and use that as a great basis for a strategy or for ideas. Andy's new book is called Go Luck Yourself, 40 Ways to Stack the Odds in Your Brand's Favor. And Andy is donating all of his royalties from the book to an organization called Commercial Break, which helps uh, working class kids get a lucky break into the creative industry. So um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you will too. Uh, Andy's book is out now, and uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. This is Andy Nairn, Lucky Generals. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for thanks for coming on the showcase. It's uh, it's great to have somebody from Lucky Generals here. Of course, you're you're a, you're a uh, you're a sort of a founding partner of the agency, and and, and I think over here in the U.S., I don't. Um, this is my guess, but I don't think enough people know that you guys are doing some of the great work that we see over here. Um, so can you tell us, tell us a little bit about Lucky Generals and, and some, of the, some of your key clients? Yeah, sure. Thanks very much for having me on, by the way. Um, so yes, I founded Lucky Generals with two very good friends of mine, Helen Calcraft and Danny Brooke-Taylor. Uh, we're longtime friends. We've worked together for quite a long time. So it was, a, it was a nice thing to do together. And we started it seven years ago. I'd like to check that um, in this strange time when, you know, time's kind of... Uh, uh, lost its meaning recently, hasn't it? So yeah, seven no years ago. Uh, and we set up in London and really quite early on though, we've been doing really within a couple of years, we started doing a lot of work around the world. So um, uh, in particular, we've done a lot of work for Amazon so that we were their first British agency. And since then we've, we've picked up briefs, you know, across Europe and then globally. So we've done their holidays campaign, for instance, for the last four years, I think, uh, which is the singing boxes with the lovely big smiles. Yeah, and, uh, that was such a great, sweet idea. And that's really, that's great to hear you. that. Really it's, great. It's, it's a funny one because it's difficult, obviously, to find an idea that can work all over the world across everybody's holidays. You know, for some people, it's Christmas. For some people, it's, it's something else. Um, and across all those different formats and occasions like Black Friday and so on. So, you know, there's nothing more universal than a smile right and it was just kind of a nice way to show that they don't just deliver uh cardboard boxes they deliver smiles all over the world so that that's been a lovely success story everybody needs somebody everybody needs somebody love someone to love someone to love everybody needs somebody <laughs> I need you, you, you. 
And and was and let me ask a little bit about that because I was always I was always curious. Was was the uh, was that graphic element on the on the Amazon logo always viewed that way, or did you guys sort of decide that it could be what it what you turned it into, which was the smile? Well, it's a really interesting point, and um, uh, to be absolutely absolutely honest, to the original designers back twenty years ago, I think it was, they did um, conceive it as both an arrow um, and a smile. So they they did think about that. But somehow that had been forgotten over the years, you know, so really, um, although if you go back to the original blueprints and design, you know, conversations and all the rest of it, um, there was a double meaning intended. But but since then, it had become known as the arrow and it had been seen as the, the thing that got from A to Z. So in the actual, you know, in the logo, you'll sort of see it go from the letter A to the letter Z. And that, that was designed to say that we, um, you know, we bring everything in the world from A to Z, and we we have everything in the world, um, you know, we're the everything store. So it was about, it was quite a rational meaning about, you know, range and, you know, logistics and delivery, which of course Amazon's fantastic at. Um, so we sort of rediscovered it, I think would be the fairest way to say it. We sort of, uh, uh, we, we, we discovered it and then we realized it's, uh, that somebody else had uh, sort of discovered it 20 years previously. But <laughs> yeah, we'd sort of, uh, we'd sort of uh, made it into something that hadn't been thought of for a long time. And now once it's one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really, it was, it's great sort of discovery. Yeah. So, and then most recently, the one that I remember is the, I think it was the, the Super Bowl spot for Alexa, the Michael B. Jordan spot, which was, which was I mean, funny and just really, really cool. Thank you. Yes. We've done three out of the last four, um super bowl spots for uh amazon for alexa so the first one we did um i guess maybe four years ago was when alexa lost her voice which was uh, a lot of fun um and and quite a quite a, a very brave idea and we sort of have massive admiration for our clients for buying it you know in this is the biggest stage in world advertising um and to lose your voice and sort of um, kind of insinuate that your that your product has a flaw somehow. I mean, obviously it was it was only ever um, a little bit of dramatization, but I, I feel like that was an, a really a really courageous, you know, creatively way to spend your money at a time when everyone else is shouting, you know, for us to almost go quiet. And but it was obviously a huge success, and I think we were, we were the first British agency to um, uh, to win the you know the public vote, the ad meter. In Austin, it's 60 degrees with its... Alexa? Amazon's Alexa lost her voice this morning, causing a... Alexa lost her voice? How is that even possible? We have the replacements ready, just say the word. And you're sure this is going to work? Yeah. Alexa, show me a recipe for a grilled cheese sandwich. Pathetic! You're 32 years of age, and you don't know how to make a grilled cheese sandwich. Its name is the recipe, you Alexa, how far is Mars? Oh, how far is Mars? Well, how am I supposed to know? I've never been there. This guy want to go to Mars. <laughs> For what? <laughs> There's not even oxygen there. Alexa, set the mood. Now setting the mood. You're in the bush. And you're just so dirty. And you're so sweaty. Because it's hot in that bush. Alexa, rebush, re reboot. You know, since then, we've had all sorts of fun, most recently, as you say, with Michael. Uh, B. Jordan. So we, we, it's it's nice to be able to bring a, 
a bit of humor and self-deprecation. That's been sort of what we've always tried to do with this technology. We all know the technology is amazing, um, but you know we can have a little laugh at ourselves too, and, and people seem to appreciate the technology all the more. I love it. So um, let's talk about let's talk about your your uh, your book. It's called uh, "Go Luck Yourself," which is a great title. Tell us tell us what's the premise of the book. Thanks. So the premise, I guess, is that luck is a four-letter word in business, um, or certainly in Western business circles. I mean, nobody ever talks about it, right? I mean, I'm sure none of your guests have come on here to to tell you how lucky they've been. Um, uh, you know, nobody applies to me with a resume saying that they've just been very fortunate. Um, we, we don't like to talk about it. In fact, when we do talk about it, it turns to usually turns out to be an insult. You know, if I were to say that you're success was lucky, then you'd, you'd probably um, be quite offended. And so I just got quite fascinated by, by that. Um, and, you know, obviously, I've got a company called Lucky General. So to some degree, it's, I guess it's a vested interest, but I sort of realized that I don't know anything about it. And we never talk about it. We just like the name, you know, seven years ago, it sounded a cool thing. Um, it's from a, a Napoleon quote, by the way. So it's, a, it's got its own little obscure backstory um but we didn't choose it for any big sort of profound reason we liked the name and then it was only seven years later that I started uh, scratching my head and thinking I've no idea what this thing called luck even is and maybe I should investigate it so where did where did it where did it come from what what sort of triggered that interest did something did something happen or you read something or a conversation I think it was all the events of the last you know 12 months 18 months um the theme of luck, whether good luck or bad luck, seemed to be sort of inescapable. It kept, I kept on encountering it um, when I wasn't expecting it. So for instance, I mean, most obviously the pandemic, you know, probably like uh, lots of listeners, I was at home feeling a bit unlucky um, and thinking, what have I done to deserve this? And we're all worried about our families and our businesses and our finances and, you know, our health and all the rest of it. So that, you know, the, the idea of, bad luck that had been thrust upon us was quite sort of close to the surface. And then lots of the other big issues, like obviously the Black Lives Matter movement and Me Too, you know, involved a different sort of luck, which was kind of making me, certainly people like me, sort of realize how fortunate and privileged we've been in other ways. And um, and so, you know, we were having to sort of perhaps acknowledge and accept uh, you know how, how lucky we'd been born you know just through you know chance of our birth and the circumstances that we'd inherited and that was nothing to do with anything we'd achieved it was just um the demographic we'd been born into so um, wherever you went i just kept on bumping up against this idea called luck in whatever you call it privilege fortune chance um and and as i say i thought given i've got a company with that in its name it's pretty ridiculous that i'm so clueless about it so, so is it a business book? Like, is it is it a book about marketing? Is it a book about luck as it's reflected across society, or is it? I mean, how would you describe you know, what the book is? It's a business book, um, which draws on a lot of um, learning from elsewhere in life. So, I'd hate to think of it actually. Probably the worst thing to say that it's a business book. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, that's technically I'd be lying, but it's if an I industry it's, book, right? Maybe. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean. Really, the thrust of it is, um, and I always tell people not to read business books for precisely this uh, reason, but I'm, I hope they'll make an exception for this. But um, <laughs> it's, it's taking lessons from elsewhere. So, you know, sport, 
um, music, zoology, architecture. Um, you know, the point of it is that we should surround ourselves with all that amazing good stuff, you know. And there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff out there in the psychology of how individuals can make themselves more lucky, you know, how they can stack the odds in their favour. And I thought maybe if we apply all this very eclectic stuff to what we do in business and, you know, building brands, then that would be quite interesting. And it turns out that there's a lot of parallels and a lot of the, a lot of the things that are, an individual can do to sort of uh, up their chances also apply to organization because I guess all an organization is, is a collection of individuals right so um, it's it just got more and more interesting. So, so how do you define luck? God this is the most the nightmare question of all times uh, <laughs> it's so so difficult because um, I mean what the dictionary usually says is is something along the lines of it's this force that um that that causes good things or bad things to happen um by chance so not as a result of your own efforts or abilities so usually it's something like that yeah but what, what i've found is that that and that, that obviously describes some kinds of luck like maybe like what i've described before when you're you're born into a certain household or demographic that is pure chance i've i'm a baby i've not achieved anything uh to do with that um and of, of course it's forces of god and forces of nature and so on but what what you find like so many things in life is that that are it's not quite as simple as that and often something that appears to be pure chance actually then requires you to do something about it um so classic example that people talk a lot about is you know in the world of science so many of the big scientific discoveries have been made by luck um but they still require some to do something about them. So the, the, the famous one, certainly in the UK, is Alexander Fleming, um, was the guy who discovered or, or invented, created penicillin, um, because he looked on his windowsill uh, and, a, and a, from a previous experiment, some mold had grown on a Petri dish. Um, and, you know, that, so it was really a lucky thing. He wasn't looking for that to happen. It was a fluke. Um, but he still had to appreciate what that meant and then apply it to the work that he was doing you know i, I would have just thrown the petri dish out <laughs> would have looked, right. looked like a, that's filthy that's uh, disgusting and um that that would have been the end of uh, that scientific uh endeavor but he obviously spotted the opportunity and so many you know in the world of science that happens a lot doesn't it you know um you know viagra was another famous example <laughs> to to use uh one where um i think that was a, a heart disease uh treatment that was being right. You know the the researchers noticed a very funny um, side effect in the in the male uh, uh, res research uh, respondents, um, <laughs> and uh, but again it requires someone to sort of take that you know that that accident. It still requires a skill to um, to make the most of that accident, and I think that's kind of what the the spirit of the book is about. You know, lots of things can be dismissed as well. That was just lucky, but. Um, if you've got the right mindset and you 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 can seize upon these things and turn them into um, something helpful for your own case, then th that that is a skill we shouldn't we should we shouldn't um, look down on those sort of um, accidents and discoveries. So when you when you look at it in the context of strategy or creativity, uh, what is the role that luck has when you think about it in the context of, of creativity? Is is it is it different than inspiration, for example? 
I think so. I think so. It's a sort of uh, I mean, inspiration, I guess, is one of the things that can bring you luck. Um, if you surround yourself with, as I say, diverse forms of inspiration, you know, lots of different um, uh, categories. And, you know, if you if you live a very rich life that you're able to throw in all these different spheres of influence, um, then that's going to probably bring you greater luck. I think for me, luck is something, it's the, it's that, it's a little bit of magic and unpredictability in the strategic process um, that makes the difference between something that's sort of pretty good and something that is great. And, you know, I, I'm a huge believer as a, you know, strategist, obviously in rigor um, and, uh, you know, working methodologically through a problem, but sometimes you've got to be able to give yourself a bit of wiggle room and sort of go off in a different direction or, you know, like that penicillin example, you, you right. might stumble on something you weren't looking for. And rather than think, well, I wasn't looking for that in my Petri dish, so I'm going to ignore it. You know, sometimes you just have to go with it and kind of think, oh, that's that's cool. I didn't think about that. But actually, now that I think about it, uh, that that works really interestingly. So, I mean, when, when, I, when I think of the, the penicillin example, that's sort of a situation where the the luck was that it it created a solution to a completely different problem, right? Yeah. And created this this solution that had a major impact. But do you see, like, as a strategist, when you're working on a specific program, and and we're thinking about how do we how do we either increase our chances of being lucky, um, and and if you're looking for a specific solution, how does luck play in that? Well, um, one way it could play is if you you know, the, the penicillin model, I guess, or the analogy would be if you were, you know, often we work on a couple of things at the same time, don't we? And, and perhaps I might be thinking about a dog food brief and um, uh, I switch off from that a little while and I, I start sort of uh, working on an automotive brief. And But actually, in the process of that, I find something that's more useful on the dog food brief. And so it's, right. a sort of, and it's being able to spot that and think and switch formats you know switch uh, brains if you like and go back to it um so sometimes it happens like that um i think sometimes um you know if i go back to that first section of the book it's just being alert to the things you know appreciating what you've got uh, there's a lovely quote from um if you know the book charlie in the chocolate factory uh by roald dahl he says we're all of us a great deal luckier than we realize and i, I think that's a nice spirit when you're working in a brief there's Quite often, the role of an agency is to 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 point out to a client company, "Wow, these are amazing th things that are sitting under your nose, like that arrow. That you know, do, do you realize that that arrow could also be a smile? Um, or, wow, you've got an amazing history. Um, you know, a lot of companies don't like to talk about the history because it feels like it's old-fashioned. But sometimes, you know, it takes an outsider to say, "No, no, that could be absolutely amazing, and you can bring the company up to date by using that history." um or or provenance you know the place that the brand's from you know it's a very human thing we're not interested in the 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 place that we are from um you know our hometowns are boring and dull right because we grew up there um and it sometimes takes someone from outside to say you're kidding me you know the rest of the world would be really fascinated by this place or find it cool or interesting and so on so i, I feel like luck is often you know sitting there right in front of our noses but we don't see it because we're so familiar. 
Um, so what about bad luck? How do you how do you think about bad luck? Can it be can it be sort of equally beneficial? Definitely, definitely. In fact, actually, I think a lot of the best strategies and business ideas come out of bad luck. They're out, born out of adversity. And um, you know, I was reading a lovely thing about uh, Walt Disney the other day, um, and he his first big success story was a thing called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And it was a character he succeeded with in 1928 and made a lot of money on and was about to make even more money. He was up in New York, um, poised to sign a big deal with Universal. Uh, And um, at the last minute, his partner, his producer, kind of cut him out of the deal and took the rights to this character and took all of Walt Disney's people with him. So Walt Disney was left with nothing and he was feeling extremely depressed and about to give up. And he was on a train back from New York to Los Angeles and the downtime, because it's a long journey, obviously, he he started sketching and he he came up with Mickey Mouse. Um, and he would then sort of later reflect that really the luckiest thing about Oswald the lucky rabbit um, was the fact that he uh, got stolen from him um, because he would never have created Mickey Mouse. It was obviously infinitely more successful than Oswald the lucky rabbit and was in that character sort of died without trace. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of lessons for all of us in that, you know, often something that feels bad turns out to be the thing that makes us, you know, propels us to do something better. And, you know, if I look at all the best, you know, a lot of the great ad campaigns, they're really, they're about taking a flaw, aren't they? And, you know, something that's bad about the brand or the product and turning that on its head. And we like that because it's surprising. Um, you know, it's a bit like, you know, when, you know, Alexa losing her voice, that's, that's right. interesting to us because we kind of think, wow, I didn't expect them to do that, um, which, which is much more sort of likable than if we just spent the whole ad seeing how wonderful Alexa was. So um, I'm, I'm curious because I go back to the thought of, and I think we touched on it briefly earlier in the conversation, this idea that when somebody says they're lucky or they got lucky or it was luck, it tends to dismiss everything that we associate with coming up with a solution. So the rigorous investigation the education, the experience, the talent, et cetera. But, I, that's, but that's not your premise. You're not saying that l- luck is, or that, that other things are frivolous. So you're, you're suggesting that luck is sort of the, it's the period at the end of the sentence. It's that moment that, that, lets, that something happens that's unexpected, but in a positive way. Is that fair to say? That, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's you know, the, you know, one of the other definitions that a lot of people use is, is where opportunity, luck is where opportunity meets a prepared mind. You know, so um, most of us will, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, not, have, I, I might have uh, not, uh, if, I, if, if I was like Walt Disney, I might not have come up with something better than that. I might have given up. Or if I was like um, Alexander Fleming, I might not have spotted the potential of the um, penicillin. So it's training yourself really to, be alert to all these opportunities that we see, and they, uh, and to make use of the the luck. The luck might be all around us, um, but it requires skill and hard work and all those other great qualities like intelligence and creativity to to seize upon those opportunities and turn them into something. But the important thing is, I think you're much more able to do that if you're if you are if you accept that luck exists and that you're mindful of it. If you if you right. sort of you know deny that luck. If you're one of these people, and there's you know lots of people in the West, in particular, who say there's no such thing as luck, um, then I feel you're less likely to um, be able to seize upon it. You know, 
it, it's I think it's helpful to wake up every morning and for instance and you know um depending on your circumstances remind yourself that you are lucky and you know here's certain reasons why I'm lucky or here why, here's why my brand is lucky and just be a that's when you start spotting some of these potential opportunities. Right. Because I've, I've, I've heard it said, and, and I, you know, I think as you you have, which is the idea that a lot of people talk about the, um, the um, what happens if I have a long shower or what happens if I, have, I go for a run. It's that, it's that unexpected, um, um, it's, it's becoming aware of something or a solution or an idea when you're when you're actually involved in some other activity activity that's disconnected from the task at hand, be it if you're having a shower, you're like, I, I'll get out of the shower and I'm, I'm, I'll I'll be thinking about a problem in a different way than I did when I got into it. For some reason, it's either my subconscious is becoming my conscious conscience, mm-hmm. my consciousness, or I'm being inspired by something. Um, and it, it's, it feels like we're talking about the same thing when we talk about luck. It's what happens when we're maybe not engaged in what we, we're not as deeply engaged in what we're, what we're, what's in front of us. That, that, that's exactly it. So that's a perfect example, isn't it? So that simple thing, which we've probably all done, you know, we've, um, you know, either had a shower and had an idea in the shower or, you know, we've, it's that change of circumstance. And if you, if you do that deliberately, then you're, you're increasing your chances. If you, you know, like you say, you go for a run, in the knowledge that maybe that will just loosen myself up a bit, which, but that in itself is, I think is a really helpful, you know, one tiny little tactic that is going to improve your chances of luck. And the problem is that organizations often don't allow for that, right? You know, we know in our private lives that that is, that might be helpful, but often the mantra, which is dominant in the West, which is, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And that it's all about hard work. I mean, obviously I'm a huge believer in hard work and, you know, Having started a business, I, I know that it is really sort of tough. But I think if you only, if you only encourage people to slave away relentlessly um, on the task at hand, and um, you know without those breaks, it, that's that's actually decreasing your luck, your chances of luck, because it's more likely that if you took a break, thought about something else, wandered around an art gallery, had a look outside the window, went on a run, or any of those other things, that's how you can. In- consciously improve your chances of luck rather than just keep your head down and sort of um you know keep going over the same numbers over and over again it's funny one of the tips i often give people when they're you know writing briefs is um to write down three bad things about the product because what we tend to do obviously as humans is to you know we we write down all the product benefits and the good things and the potential messages and ways in and we sort of brush over the bad stuff but often it's the bad stuff that is is more surprising or interesting if you can you know turn that into something good and you know Bill Burnback back in the day was the master of that wasn't he he, he told us to think small yes. uh, about BW or that you know Avis being second that actually turned out to be a good thing so I love that kind of flip um, and I think most people like that sort of flip as well. So how does all of this uh, work, Andy, when it comes to Lucky General's planning or approach to planning? Is there is there sort of a, a, a technique or a, an approach that you guys advocate for that is uh, that kind of bakes in some of these uh, some of these topics that we've talked about this morning around luck? Yeah, I mean we we're sort of pretty process light. We don't really you know like having massively you know one of these we don't have like a trademarked proprietary sort of <laughs> yeah thank goodness. Exactly, horrendous thing like that. Um, 
in fact, we're sort of the opposite, but we do think strategy is a creative discipline. So, which I think is, does sort of, um, you know, touch on this kind of, uh, this idea of luck, which is to say that um, we don't just do the strategy in a very sort of functional business-like way and then um, in a very predictable sort of uh, methodological way that um, that makes everything predictable. I mean, I think that's the big mistake that a lot of businesses and strategists make, which is, you know, they, they see their role as taking luck out of the equation, you know, sort of um, making sure that everything is predictable. And, you know, we often say things like, you know, leave nothing to chance. So, you know, the, you know, the yeah, exactly. There, what, a, what, a, what? Yeah, what an interesting statement. Le- never leave anything to chance. Yeah, and we sort of, so we, we sort of, we, we presume that luck is a bad thing, and therefore let's not, you know, let's not let luck into this situation. So the the strategist does lots of research and proves, you know, beyond any reasonable doubt that this is the only way to go. And I sort of feel like I'm a lot looser than that. I like to work with creatives, and we, you know, obviously we try to give a very clear steer um but then i work with creatives to find a really interesting and perhaps surprising creative expression and if it's you know sometimes it's not quite what i was i don't i don't like to think of a creative brief as a as a contract you know some i think some strategists um if if the work is a little bit off brief they sort of uh, wag their finger at the creatives and say this isn't on brief and i i kind of feel if it's if if it somehow ended up in a better place despite being a bit off brief, if it's in a better place, then that's all that counts. It's like, yeah. again, it's the penicillin thing. If someone's discovered something more interesting um, in the process, then I've helped them get there by setting the brief in the first place. And then and then let's have a chat about whether it's, you know, the right thing to do or not. So um, there's a there's a lovely uh, a lovely quote that I discovered along the way in, in this, which which is now my favourite sort of quote in this whole thing, is, is by Quincy Jones, you know, the great... Um, yeah producer music producer so he he's uh very methodological in lots of ways quite sort of scientific in his approach but he then says leave 20 percent for the lord to walk through the room and he, <laughs> he's got that pinned up on his music uh you know recording studio. And i just love that don't you sort of, um, yeah i mean it, it it does make and i think to your point about about leaving room for an idea that was completely unexpected because i mean i i think i think of strategy as being uh, um, it's there can be multiple solutions. There can be multiple strategies for solving a singular business problem, right? So I think as strategists, we can't assume that we have the right answer. Um, and and I think that and there's a lot of debate. I think in in planning circles about uh, is the strategist's role to develop uh, to to sort of serve up a strategy. Or is the plan is the planner's role to suggest in their brief what the creative what what an idea could be? I'm always I'm always curious about that because it's it's uh they seem like very they are they are completely different directions to uh, to think about what your output is as a strategist mm. and uh, and and yes to your point about don't don't think that it's about absolutely having an idea that's reflective of the strategy or the brief and leave that door open but do you do you um like what because you say you want to you want to work with creative to develop the ideas is your brief uh the sort of initial thought of an idea or is it a strategy that's will inspire i know it's kind of weird it's kind of both in a way but i'm just curious how you think about it 
No, I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I, I like. I hope it's a strategy to inspire. Really, it's kind of. Uh, um, I always think of it like a springboard. You know, it's uh, it, it's going to get you started. Um, and I quite often put a few little thought starters, you know, in there. Is you know, um, but very much you know, caveated with you know, don't take these as you know the only ways to go into it. But is there anything in this, or maybe have a little think about that? And then you've got to have the humility that you know, if they ignore all of them, then that's equally um fine um yeah i feel like it's getting getting the creatives giving them some fuel and getting them interested and and then i want to be surprised again that comes back to luck I, there's a school of planner or strategist that that wants to make everything so predictable that they want to be able to almost see the work when it comes back and then realize yes that is i have I've got my fingerprints on that. That is 100% on my brief. Whereas I want to be surprised somehow. I want it to be true to the spirit of whatever, whatever I've, you know, sort of um, given the team. But I, but I still want to be, you know, like all of us do in life, we, the, the best things are a lovely, beautiful surprise as well. And you think, oh, wow, yeah. that's, that's amazing. That is kind of, I can see that I hopefully have helped get you there, but um I can also see that you've taken off that, taken that into an amazing direction that I, you know, wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, I mean, I would think that that if the hairs on the back of your neck don't go up when you see the concept, then how do you expect anybody's hairs to go when they see it, a consumer to react to it? Exactly, and that's why we have, you know, different people are different, you know, have different skills at, um, you know, different, uh, you know, parts of the process. And that's the way I've always worked, you know, because I've had a very close relationship with my creative partner who, you know, we, as we've worked together for such a long time. Um, and I guess when you start a company, you, you, you get other people working a little bit in your image, even if you can't help it, you know? Um, and so we've always had this very fluid relationship between strategists and creatives and, and we haven't been all territorial about who's doing what it's sort of, it seems to work somehow. So when you when you look at the work such as the uh, the Michael B Jordan spot for mm-hmm. for Amazon Alexa, w- tell us about where that what was this what was the kind of the brief for a spot like that, and then uh, what were some of the initial ideas that that uh, then led to the one that you that you guys produced? Um, so we've got a great uh, a great strategist that works on that. There's a guy called Loz Horner, and he's he's been very involved in the Amazon campaign so this is his thinking rather than mine I mean I think maybe the best example of it is that first the first Amazon campaign uh, the first Alexa campaign which was again the sort of losing a voice and that was because I think this kind of shows the sort of our sort of process that started off with a non-creative non-strategist it was actually our chief operating officer so our sort of Mr. Fix-It kind of character <laughs> um and what he was doing i mean again because we're a small company we all chat to each other about things that even if it's not really our brief uh, but he started talking to danny our creative partner about alexa and said um wouldn't it be amazing if alexa lost her voice a little bit like uh, the little mermaid you know the little mermaid sort of story yeah. Which, funnily enough, um, Megan Markle was uh, talking about the other day in uh, her interview. But um, this kind of idea that this this uh, you know the princess who, or the mermaid who loses her voice, and and so that was a sort of a chance conversation. That was absolute pure serendipity. They were having lunch, you know, um, together. Um, somebody who doesn't work on the account, who's not a creative, mentions it to a creative person, 
but then that creative person has the instincts and skill to realize hmm, that isn't a stupid idea that could be quite interesting shares it with his team and they all work in it quite um uh you know sort of uh collaboratively together and and then a planner gets involved at that stage by which at, at which point the brief is already in but and rather than him say this is outrageous where's this idea come from um he gets very excited by it and helps to shape it you know because there's still a lot of work then to be done about well how exactly would that work is that going to make it look like the product doesn't work that's not going to be a good thing and um so everybody just spent long days in a in a room together and then the client is you've got great clients who are very creative and like a lot of companies have got their own creative department they got involved and then we got the engineers involved because we thought wouldn't it be great if we could get the actual devices if you ask them in the run-up to the Super Bowl you know who's going to win the Super Bowl if um, Alexa did cough and she did and they the engineer (laughs) and then that created a bit of PR you know I think that's kind of the nice um, you know it's a lovely way to work rather than I mean obviously there was a formal brief and that did get them thinking and then we did go back and check that we were doing all the things that the brief needed us to do Um, but it was just a bit more organic I guess and and looking at the the Michael B Jordan spot and it says the new Alexa device looks good a little too good in fact it's sort of the description for the spot so they, I mean, again, to on that one, it was is about the aesthetics of the device as well. It was kind of so that yeah. read out the brief there, really, and then um, you know, but we always there's a humility that we like to bring to that advertising because this is a big company and a, a really clever bit of technology, and nobody really wants to hear in a very sort of serious way about how wonderful we are and how wonderful the you know beautiful the product is. So. We, what we've tried to do with all those campaigns, so whether we're losing a voice or then the second year was about, um, um, you know, here's some stupid ideas, frankly, that, um, you know, the ideas that didn't make the cut, you know, there was a recognition that voice is now popping up all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we thought, wouldn't it be funny if we put it in, you know, Harrison Ford's um, uh, uh, dog collar, um, or it could be in toothbrushes or it can be in jacuzzis and things like that. And and they were all terrible ideas because that's kind of funnier seeing a big company having a bit of a laugh at itself. And so this was, I suppose, the with Michael B. Jordan, it was a, the brief was about, you know, aesthetics and let's show off how great the new device looks. Um, and, and again, let's just, you know, not take it too seriously either. I love it. So Andy, before we wrap up, can you kind of give me a, a, a for the listeners, a, sort of a summary of the, of the book and, and uh, as we before we wrap up, yeah, sure. So it's um, it's called Go Luck Yourself, and it's forty different, very practical, sort of tangible, hopefully fun and inspiring ways uh, to help you stack the odds in your brand's favor. And it's um, as I said before, it's it's not really a business. It's got lots of examples and lots of campaigns uh, that I admire, but also draws on all sorts of other kind of more fun things from sport to music and lots of other stuff besides. Andy, thanks a lot. Andy's uh, founding partner, Lucky Generals, uh, in in London. You've also got offices, I think, in New York and somewhere else here, and uh, maybe on the stateside. Um, check them out, LuckyGenerals.com. You'll see a lot of work on here that um, that you may never have associated with Lucky Generals. And again, Andy, congratulations on being Campaign Magazine Strategist of the Year in the UK. Brilliant work. Thank you very much indeed. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andy, and we'll see everybody on the next episode.